Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. At Leia Healthcare, we always want to give our members more. So now you get unrestricted access to a world of benefits that will help you stay healthy. From convenient video calls with a GP to get prescriptions online, to easy access to experts when you finally want to do something about your ropey knee or dodgy back. And if you do need to see someone urgently, our clinics are available for minor injuries, all without you needing to put your hand in your pocket. Let's stay on top of your health, in every way. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Insurance provided by Ellipse Insurance Limited Trading as Leia Healthcare. Leia Healthcare Limited Trading as Leia Healthcare and Leia Life is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Unrestricted benefits are available until the end of December. Fair usage policy applies. Yes, another massive name. Can't believe we've got him. Ex-Rangers manager, Mark Warburton. Thanks very much for coming Pleasure, on. nice to see you. I still need to say to you that I've still not forgave you. You broke my heart out of hand in that day. Petrified Cup final. My son was crying, cheers. We had too much, didn't we? We had too much on the day for you. He's but the builder... Played some proper football that day, didn't he? We played well that day. A couple of great goals as well. Was it Tab's goal as well? It was yeah, a, good, yeah, good football. Um, it was a good stage and Rangers sold the stadium out so the arena was set for the Rangers players so it was tough for you guys but I thought we were good in that day You injured Chris that day because your tactics were spot on I think you put two men on me to stop me from playing with it I thought one would be enough in <laughs> truth so I just, played, I just played safe one would have done the job <laughs> Right, must say as well looking tremendous Thank you very much London, London gentleman isn't it? Ah, I'll give the 50 quid after the interview <laughs> but uh, no, it's, uh, no, life is good Life is good in London, so I've always kept my base there. Mm-hmm. Living in Glasgow, Nottingham, wherever I've been, I've always kept my base because you, once you sell your house in London, you can't buy it back again. You can't. Uh, so you just keep your base and the family stay there and I'll, I'll go back my business. London's a place, isn't it? It's where guys like me should be living up. Ah, you deserve to be in London, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back street somewhere. <laughs> right, we're going to go on to the managing career. But I just want to uh, go touch on the playing career a wee bit. During the playing career, was there any managers that stuck out that, you, that made you want to be a manager? Uh, I've got to be really careful how I say this. Uh, the manager maybe didn't want to manage was Jock Wallace. Really, right? And I say it in the right way, because obviously he's a legend at Rangers and I walked in the office with his pictures everywhere, but I, I, Jock came in, I was a young apprentice at Leicester and uh, he was a different type. He was, to say he was old school, was, <laughs> he was way beyond old school, a hard man and uh, just did things differently. As a, as a boy coming from down, I had no idea, I'd never experienced it before, but he was brutal in yeah. terms of how he dealt with the players and I think he wanted you to respond 
buy, you know, are you going to give me that, I'll give you it back. But when you haven't been used to that, that's like a, wow, where did that come from? So I found him and another guy from London went with me as well as a being apprentice. I saw him for the first time for 30 years like before Christmas and he said exactly the same thing. Jock put him off football completely. And I'm not saying Dork to Jock because obviously he's a huge successful manager and what he achieved in, in world football. But for me, it killed my passion for the game right. at the time. So have you been the complete opposite to that? I just, I came away, it sounds really profound for a 17, 18 year old young professional, but I, I said I will never treat people like that. Mm-hmm. And on the business side and the city and football, how I am now, I will never ever treat people of that manner. But it worked for Jock. But it wouldn't be for me. Uh-huh. Is there anyone then that, that did inspire you to go on and do the management? Uh, Frank McClintock. Right? Frank, what, the Arsenal so, legend? Yeah, Frank. Yeah? So Frank's son, son Neil. Got four boys, but Frank's son Neil was my best mate at school. Um, so my parents would pick Neil up and we'd go to school football. And Frank took me up, up to Leicester and uh, signed me up there. And then Frank was dismissed shortly thereafter. But uh, just Frank's passion for the game. He was the same background as Jock. You know, if I went to see him playing that season, you know, QPR, if you remember, they won Liverpool close to the Premier League title, right. just missed out by a point. But that team of Givens and Masson and Bowles and Parks and Clement and etc. So Frank was in that team. And uh, the passion, I went to see Frank train with QPR. Dave Sexton was the manager. So one of the world's greatest, you know, outstanding coach. So for me, seeing Frank, learning from Dave Sexton, that was what really lit the, the passion for me. So is that where you get your style of play from, Dave Sexton? No, I loved it. I loved yeah. watching that and, and through that, very lucky to see Don Howe work occasionally and the great Dick Bate who's recently passed away, unfortunately. I've had a session with Dick Bate. Dick was the, one, the, the best coach educator in the world by none. But to get access to that level of people as a young man was really, you know, really fortunate and, and beneficial. But you shape, your, you shape your beliefs in football and that's for me where my passion for the game has come from. Frank's a Scotsman, isn't he? Thank you, yeah. yeah where, whereabouts do you know? Yeah, he's a, he's a Celtic man, I think. Is he a Celtic man? Yeah. So I invited him to <laughs> how Rangers. Did he, how did he take that when you took I invited him, him into Rangers to a game and he came in came in the office. You could see him come to the Lions Den. So I, <laughs> I made sure he was there with a blue shirt and all the flower scars. <laughs> but nah, top man, thank yeah. Brilliant. Uh, I, I wanted to ask, why did you not go straight into coaching after playing? Why did you decide to get a, a proper job? Nah, because I, I literally, you come out, I was playing at the time, you were on 45 quid a week as a pro, young pro, and getting paid 50 quid a week playing, you know, at the time, conference football. So I was doing that and um, truth, my mum saw an advert for competitive individual good with numbers. That was the advert in the paper, didn't know what it was, so I went along and took it, it was a bank and uh, then you find yourself in a trade market and it sounds, it sounds basic Simon but equally as competitive as football, uh-huh. mad environment, huge amounts of money flowing through, responsibility given to young, young guys and it was a male dominated world at the time, it's changing now thankfully but it was a male dominated world, very similar to here. To, to a football dressing room, you know, teams of 10, 12, 13 guys, communication, teamwork, uh, all that type of things that you expect in the dressing room. That was a dealing room mm-hmm. with massive responsibility. In up terms the of, city, that's what they say, work up the city, you know. Yeah, but uh-huh. they say that, but the money, people go, oh, they earn money. Yeah, no, if you didn't, if you didn't earn money, you lost your job. Mm-hmm. Same as a player, if you don't play well, you don't get a contract. You do well, you get a big bonus. If you're in, you know, someone say, oh, the city bonuses, you see all the papers slag off city, city traders and their bonuses. If you're getting paid a million dollar bonus, that means you've made $10 million for the company. So right. if I'm your boss and I give you a million dollar bonus, I'm nine million better off. You take that, any, anyone in this world will take that all day long. Mm-hmm. So you earn your money. Don't think for one second they give it away free. They take their pound of flesh. You're in at six in the morning. You're leaving at six, get home at six, seven at night. Phone calls through the evening from Tokyo and Asia and New York and wherever else. And, it's a tough one. Uh-huh. But you, you get know. that suit off your first million check. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's a free giveaway, this <laughs> But did you enjoy that buzz then? Loved uh-huh. it, loved it. And you say, why didn't you go back in the football? I was playing. I went to work in North Carolina, 
for a while, went to work in Chicago for a while, uh, travelled to Tokyo, Hong Kong, Singapore, etc., and worked. But all the time it was really competitive, and any player would love it. I tell you now, it was so competitive, the atmosphere, the teamwork, camaraderie. Good bantam that as well, yeah, it's a dressing room. Dressing room, it's just a dressing room, that's what right. it was. So the transition to football was, was easy, uh-huh. but then what you, do, you try and do is take the, the principles that work well in the city, in trading, and create a new right environment, take it into football. Really? So you took that into Absolutely, football? Yeah, yeah. Same well, when did it get to the stage that you missed football too much and you thought, I need to give this a go um, full time? I was working around, so wherever I worked, I was in North Carolina, I'm coaching the bank team, I'm coaching the local pizza team, I'm coaching the under nine girls team, I'm in Chicago coaching the high school team and college team. I was just coaching. Uh, I didn't even know a coaching badge existed. It sounds ignorant, but when you're overseas, you don't, you don't know. So I came back in and working over here, and uh, someone mentioned level one, level two. What's that? I had no idea. So I was working at AIG and moving to RBS, and uh, I started doing level one and two quickly. Did my level three, worked under a great coach mentor, a guy called Ted Dale. I was worked with him, got my A licence done. Um, so it's now 2004, five. I got my A licence. And my son was a young player, went to Watford Academy. I would go and watch him train and they asked me to come in and, uh, and work there with my background and come and work. Uh, but I wanted, to, I wanted to improve my knowledge first. So I went around, I went around Europe for a year. So I travelled around, went to, just cold called. I cold called loads of clubs, got told to bog off by most of them. And then one in Sport Lisbon invited me over, a guy called Diogo Matos, who's still a really dear friend, top, top man, was a camera director. Went over there and I like, spending weeks over at Lisbon learning from them. He invited me into PSV, into Ajax, into Barcelona, into, and that's where down the line Next Gen Series came from, where we had 24 of the biggest clubs playing under 19 tournament. Mm-hmm. But I had to improve my education some. I didn't know, you can't just go into a club and go, I'm an under 12 coach, under 30. I didn't know enough. So I had to go to Valencia and, and uh, Sevilla and Barca, Espen, uh, all these various clubs, PSG and Elect, and just learn. Willem Tway, learn about their school. Go back to Watford and we set the Harefield Academy up where we combine the school. Because I'm thinking, why aren't we doing it here? We're doing it over in, in Willem Tway, they're doing it in Ajax, doing it in PSG. Why are we not doing it? Mm-hmm. So you get some great ideas. So you think that's important to go and actually learn your trade? Because you see, obviously, man at big names now, they just go straight into management. But you think it's... I think you've got to learn your trade. Yeah. I really do. I mean, Sean Dyche, I was a county director at Watford and Sean Dyche was my youth team coach, Sean. But fair credit to Sean. Sean was always going to go and work with first team. It's in his character, his nature. His, but he, he did, the, he did the, the toil, you know, with, with the younger players and the, the youth team. And he, we would go and coach in the evenings. Sean would take the nines, I'd take the tens and twelfth and thirteens. And we did all of that. So he, he, he really did his education and it held him in great stead. It's how people learn, mm-hmm. whether they're 9, 19 or 29, it's how people learn. So I think you've got to do your education. I'm not criticising people who haven't done that. They might do it a different way. But for me, I, had to, I knew coming out of the city with no playing career like a, a Daishi or a Kenny Miller, or I had to improve my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I did. See, when you were doing the younger stuff, was, was the aim always to get to a first team, though? No. No? I left because I had no playing reputation. I didn't know what to do. I'm thinking, I'm going to do something in the academy. You get to Watford. I couldn't leave, it sounds arrogant, but I couldn't leave the city where you have a responsible job and you're in charge of people and go in and be a part-time under-13 coach. It was never going to work for me. Mm. So I wanted, I got, Eddie Boothroyd made me camera director. Um, but even then, you've got to be at a bigger club, Simon. You've got to be at a top six, top eight Premier League club to have an impact. So I was always striving, thinking I'd be in, I'd be in that environment. Then I got a phone call from Matthew Benham, the owner of Brentford, asked me to to come and take, take the manager, well, I come and manage the first team. Got a phone call at one in the morning and literally I was coaching the first team the following day. Wow. And then I became a sporting director at Brentford for a couple of years 
And then, so how did Brentford find out about you? Um, I was trying to get, Matthew was looking to buy a club at the time. Watford were in deep financial trouble. Um, and the owner of this was saying, look, we need, we need financial investment. I was trying to get Matthew Benham to buy Watford. So I brought Matthew in to see AD and he, I think Ben Brendan came in, he met with Brendan. Um, Malcolm Mackay was there, Sean Dyche was there, Dick Bate was there. Some standard of coaching there. We had a group, we had a really good mm-hmm. group. And um, I was trying to get Matthew to buy, but Matthew's a Brentford fan through and through. So I tried to get him to do that. So he knew about me, we got to know each other. I have enormous respect for him. And, and he offered me the job to go and work at Brentford and I was there for, for nine and five years. Wow. Uh, first, first team job, as you said, was uh, assistant to Nicky Foster. Is that right? So, I, I played against Nicky Foster, good player, striker. Good player, good player, really nice fella. Tell Nicky, if I'm his assistant, I need to have a quiet word with him. Because he was, uh, <laughs> Nicky was, Nicky was a face, um, still playing, really good player, lovely, lovely guy. Um, but he hadn't taken a session in his life before. Right. So, There's what you're talking about, hasn't he really done his... He hadn't, he was yeah. a player still, so no, right, you know, he wouldn't be doing that. But Nicky was media savvy, media friendly, and he was a face, great, so... You know, delighted for him, but I was doing the coaching and it suited me as well. I can do a low profile, go about your business. But no, enormous respect for Nicky. I haven't spoken to him recently, actually, but uh, top player. Really How good was player. that going in and coaching first team players? Can you still make first team players better footballers? No, yeah, of course you can. Yeah. Absolutely. But I was, one o'clock in the morning, I got the phone call at 1.15 on the internet trying to learn the names of the squad. I didn't know who they were. <laughs> really? Yeah. Gary Alexander and Charlie McDonald, and I'm trying to learn the names. And But you turn up there, and players, you know, players want. Uh, an organised session, they want to enjoy what they do and they want to come away from they've learned something. So make the sessions bright, make them bright, give them a purpose, tell them what you're trying to achieve. So I think we went in there and did that, the boys really enjoyed it. I think we were 18th at the time, I think we finished 10th in the league uh, and it worked out really well for us. But I wanted the job then and Matthew asked me to go sporting director in charge of the first team in the academy. And in hindsight, it was great. At the time, I was, I was peed off. I wanted that... Uh, I wanted to manage your job. Uwe Rosler got the job. Yeah. And uh, I was sporting director. Big angry German. See, just going into that first team for the first time, was there nerves there? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you're working with youth team. But AD exposed me to working with some of the first team boys at Watford, um, which is good. But when you actually take the first session, you can't show any weakness. If you do, I'm not saying players, but they do, they, they know straight away. Yeah. Did you ever get any of it? No. No. Because you were so organised with your sessions and that's what oh, players I, respect. Uh, and, and I'd done my homework. I mean, I've done that year away traveling. I'd coach all the age groups. I'd work with various, I've been doing the youth team and reserves in the morning at Watford, for example, then doing the kids in the evening. It was a proper 90 hour week every single week. Your day off was Sunday afternoon after the academy games, but you put your homework in and that, that put me in good stead. I was, re- I was ready. I was ready for Brentford and enjoyed it and felt that I could contribute. So I, was, I had no nerves. I just, I really enjoyed it and wanted to try things out. How do these boys respond? So passing drill you do with a 14, 15, for example, you could take on and develop it and be into a phase of play and see how it would work. So they responded well to it. Mm-hmm. So when Rosler got the job, were you a bit disappointed that you never got it at that we, stage? Yeah, we met. I told Matthew and, and we met uh, and Matthew was great and uh, got on well with Uwe. And, uh, you know, people said to me afterwards, what are, they, what are the attributes of a, a director of football or a sporting director? What do you need to have? You just need to get on with the manager. He's got to trust you 100%. I said to Uwe, I'll always have your back. You know, we would argue we would speak 10 times a day. We'd have dinner a couple of times a week. You know, I'd always have a coffee in the morning. I was always there, but little things that I wouldn't do to make him have any, any sense of distrust. So I would never wear a tracksuit. I was itching to get on the grass, mm-hmm. but I never did. I always wore clothing, you know, casual clothing yeah. or suit or whatever. I never put a tracksuit on. And he, he would say to me, come on, put a tracksuit on. No, no, that's you. I would never cross the white line because that was his domain. Yeah. And I think if you do that, you blur the lines a little bit. So for me, I was really conscientious not to do it and uh, had a great relationship with Uwe, you know, we'd done well and 
Uh, he just missed out in the playoffs and then he went on to, at the time, Wigan were championship, we were League One at Brentford and he went on to Wigan. See, when you're in that sporting director, do you need to bite your tongue a few, a few times as well? No, you don't. That's you your can opposite. say what you think, can you? You've got, you, to say, you've got to say what you think. If you want a yes man, you've got no Get chance. Me in, huh? Well, no, it's, it's right. Yeah, I'm saying, if I, if I sit here and, and I'm helping you and all I'm doing is going, no, you're right, Simon, no, you're right, spot on, absolutely right. No, no one wins by that. So I would always tell him what I think, but do it in a respectful manner. And then if I go forward, the clock, take the clock forward to Rangers, I say that any players, if I go to a club now and you think the session is, is poor, knock on my door and say, Gaffer, that session was crap. What was that all about? Yeah, yeah, you're that opening on no, it. No problem. You come on my door and say, that session was, then I'll bite your head off. Just how you do it, it's how you speak yeah. to people. And again, going back to right at the start, Jock, how you speak to people is important. Mm. So respect is massive for me. And as I say, in terms of Uwe, I'd always give him my opinion. Always. And if he didn't like it, he'd have a flare up for two or three hours and he'd phone me back and go, I'm, I'm sorry. But that's Uwe. Mm -hmm. Really warm hearted and he's a, he's a top fella. Yeah. You know, doing well in Malmo now. And it's, it's one of those, but you've got to be honest with people. Did you always think or know that when Uwe was going, the job would be yours? No. No? No. It was Sunday morning. I was due to go to a game. I think Arsenal were playing at the Emirates and I was ironing a shirt. And the uh, phone went and it's Matthew. And literally, Uwe had gone on the Thursday and uh, he said to me, uh, do you want a job? That was it. No, I didn't have you nothing. No, he said, would you like the job to become manager? I said, yes. He went, good. Okay then, come in and talk about your contract. And it was literally done. Was, done that, was the butterflies gone? I was buzzing, no, buzzing. Put the phone down, I was probably buzzing. So I'm in a pair of shorts, iron the shirt, you know, giving it a high five and Richie's thinking I'm obviously smoking something. But uh, <laughs> no, it was, uh, no, it was great. Great and, and, and real thanks to Matthew because you need, you need an owner to trust you and give you that chance. Because I, no, I had no history in the game. I had no first team playing career, etc. So for him to do that was a, was a brave call. Mm. But a massive plus for you must have been that you'd watched him for a full year from the stands. And did you know exactly what you wanted to change straight away? I knew exactly what I wanted to change. I knew exactly who I wanted to bring in. I phoned Davey Weir about thir three minutes after that phone call. Sorry, what's the connection with Davey Weir? How do you use? Uh, I was doing the Next Gen Series tournament. So from the UK, we had uh, Liverpool City, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal and Villa. We had Celtic from, from Scotland, then we had Barca's, Dortmund's, PSG's, everyone else in there. Everton were trying to get in, and David, David Moyes had asked about getting in and said David Weir would be the coach of that team. Um, so I met with David Weir, and I really liked the way he spoke about the game, and I just find him a gentleman, uh, the way he's, the respect that he has, his knowledge, his intellect, but he speaks his mind as well, and that was key for me. So enormous respect. Then he went to Sheffield United, if you remember, yeah. And uh, Brentford played them, and at the time it was really in infancy for David, but he was trying to play. I liked the way he was trying to play, and we hurt them that day, but his team was really in the infancy. So I phoned David straight away. I put the phone up to Matthew, phoned David. We had lunch on a Monday at King's Cross Station, and I think he started on a Wednesday. Wow. And that was it. Uh -huh. So your promotion that season? Got promotion. We had, a, we had a really good run, and you know, little things happen. The first game, it's nil nil at home to I think, Oldham. Yes, you know, it's a really, and the fans are thinking, who's this guy here? And we scored 88th minute, you know, I think it might have been Dougie, I can't remember, or Macca. And uh, we scored, and we went on a run, and over Christmas we, we played 6-1-6, six, six, and, you know, manager of the month, team of the month, everything else, and it was flying. And uh, we got promotion with Wolves, uh, and we came up, and again, then when we come up, we were everyone's favourites to go down. Smallest budget, one of the smallest budgets in the division. We were favourites, everyone phoned me. Malky, everyone said, just survive. AD, just survive. But that was a message to the players. If you say someone just survive, or just I'm saying, just do enough. So Matthew, the owner, put a really aggressive bonus scheme in place, like a City bonus scheme. Boys loved it and responded, and we just missed out in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. See the buzz of that 88th minute winner? Bigger buzz than the, the City? 
different buzz. You know, different. When you're sitting there with, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this lightly, you've got $800 million going wrong or going right or a billion dollars and, you know, huge, they were the amounts you're dealing in, mm. huge amounts of money or 200 million, 300. When you're doing that, as a proper buzzer, let me tell you. You know, when it when goes right, when it goes wrong, there's a different type of sensation. <laughs> but, um, but as I say, that's the same as football. Uh-huh. When you take the penalty kick in front of, you know, 40,000 or uh, Hamden out here, you know, when you try to get a consolation goal against Rangers <laughs> or something, it's that, that type of feeling, you know? But... Come on! That's the last time we're going to talk about that game, all right? But see, that first season, everything was going so well. Was there anything that went maybe a wee bit wrong or surprised you about management in that first year? Uh, Rangers? or no, at Brentford. At Brentford. No. no. No, I knew the club. I, you know, I, all the staff would be brought in. They're still there now, which is something really proud of. You know, the likes of Neil Gregg and, and Darrell and Bob Atemi, Kitman, great guys, mm-hmm. top, top at their trade as well, but they're still there now, doing a fantastic job. So I knew the staff, we, the players obviously brought in, the Foreshaws and the Bibwells and the Deans, Tarkowskis, and all, we knew all the guys. And um, I trusted David and Frank implicitly, and we had great support from the owner and the board. So it was a, it was a perfect scenario. Because I played against Roslo's Brentford team, and for me they were very direct. And then when you took over, it was total, total football. How, how do you get a team to play like that? Is it confidence? Is it working on the training ground? You tell me if I'm wrong, but I think you tell a player. People are too short to look at what players can't do, and they don't appreciate what players can do. So they'll say to, we took a guy called Tony Craig, Millwall. Millwall, hard Millwall, boy. Hard boy, <laughs> top boy, top boy. And I think he'd been told, he said to me, I've been told to basically get it and hit, hit the channel, edit and kick it, edit and kick it. And he was good at editing it and kicking it. Mm-hmm. He was, but he could play. He could play, Tony. He could properly play as a centre-half. And the first three or four games, it was like rabbit in the headlights. But then after that, he just grew into it. We took Clint Hill at Rangers. Clint's a top, top player. Mm-hmm. But he touched it more times, he touched the ball more times his first game for Rangers than any other game in his career. Really, yeah. So that's why it's there. And he came off and said, I've just touched the ball, I've just passed it 58 times. Or so. But if you, tell, if you tell players they can't do it, they won't do it. Let them have a ball and enjoy it. If they're not good enough, then you have to, in time, move them on. But I think too, too often you look at a player, look at Tavernier. I know scouts look at Tavernier and go, he can't defend. He's not good enough 1v1. They forget the fact he's the best attacking fullback with world-class delivery at times. It's forget, a season, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, but they look at his weaknesses as opposed to what he can do. And I think that's, that's the thing, make players feel good about themselves. Give the environment. If, the envi- if they can't thrive in the environment, then maybe they're not good enough. But that's to say, that's your job as a manager to, to mould it and move them on. What gave you the belief that the passing game was the right way to do it? Because in the championship, most people boom it, don't they? They do and they don't. Not now. They not don't. now, but not back now. then. But I, I think so what me, gave you the belief people that say you can't passing was the right thing? Because play, that's how you play the game. Was it because you went to places like Sporting Lisbon and that? Yeah, thing? I went to Lisbon. I, at Barcelona, you watch Barca play. And uh, it's just about the quality of players and the drill and the passion for the ball and players dominating the football. Too many players are dominated by the football. You want players who dominate the football and love having a football. You want you've got to have a work ethic. You've got to enjoy playing. We took people like Alex Pritchard on loan, who's now Tottenham. obviously Tottenham. Yeah. Great young player, played another 45 games the first that season. But we had to drag Alex Pritchard off the training pitch. Drag him off. Alan Judge, a shocking injury, but Judgey literally had to drag him off. Friday lunch, Judgey get off the pitch, but he just wanted to play. And sometimes those players, you've got to let them play. The sports scientists are saying, no, he can't do it, his quad to be tight, but Judge, he just wanted to play football, and he was magnificent for us. What a player, and as I say, he got really hurt by that two years out with an injury. What a talent. Mm-hmm. But you want, that, you want that passion, enthusiasm. Just signed for Ipswich, isn't he? He signed for Ipswich, yeah, but he, hopefully yeah, he's a good player. Uh-huh. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the Moneyball approach at Brentford. What, what, what does that involve? Um, for firstly, Moneyball's here, and what Brentford do is up there, times ten. Right. So the owner, Matthew, is um, such a smart, smart guy. Such a smart guy. And they did it. I probably got, got nearly well. 
Yeah, yeah, because they get both ends of the spectrum. Now, <laughs> <they>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but you look at it and go, the, Matthew, how, how he does it, he doesn't look at England or Scotland, he looks at a World League. So he literally, where would Brentford come in, at, you know, one to 500? And that's how he does it in terms of players having impact in their division. So if there's a player in Bundesliga 3 who we can get for 250,000 euros as opposed to buying a guy from Championship for 5 mil, that's what he does. So he, 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 you know, he does his homework, looks at the character, the appearance record, does all the, all the due diligence you have to do. Yeah. But he has a team of, team of PhDs in his warehouse. And these, this is a smart operation. Tony Bloom at Brighton's the same. Uh, they Tony Bloom. Same thing, they worked closely together, Matthew and Tony, for a while. So again, these are very, very smart guys. And people go out there, Moneyball, it's Moneyball times 10. Right. Biggest question I wanted to ask you was, did you know it's Swindon on that day? It was Swindon on that day, business. It was. It wasn't near the top end, <laughs> but it was, it was there. <laughs> uh, because you, you, you did buy players cheap and you sold them for a lot of money. Yeah, you? but we were looking at players. You had Swindon had uh, Ryan Mason. Yeah. Luongu. Uh-huh. You had Luongu. You had John Abika, is that right? Yeah, Abika was there. You had Pritchard. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, I suppose it's my team, but I'm looking at their development. But again, players going to League One, then ready for the championship. So the loan system or the loan uh, option for Spurs worked really well. Taste them there, do a season, championship, do a season. Now they're ready for the Premier League, mm-hmm. and that's been proven. Lots of Ryan Mason and, and Massimo, obviously at QPR now. Alex in the Premier League, so yeah, some good players. Yeah. Uh, okay, just the last bit of the championship. Did you expect to get in the playoffs that year? You said people were telling you you could keep up. Did you think you could get that? Good? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Why? Because of the quality of the players. Because I thought we just had a real hunger about us. I thought I thought we were underestimated for the first half of the year. People always underestimate teams that come up. They always overestimate teams that come down. Always. Really, right? Look at it. Look at, the, look at the table. So, Did you like being an underdog? Yeah, loved it. Loved it because people hate going to Griffin Park. Tiny change room, cold, window open, all the, all the old nonsense you have. But tight ground, really passionate crowd, great crowd. And teams hated it, but they underestimated us. And by the time it was Christmas, it was too late. We, we, were, we were there and we were hurting them and we were, we were flowing. And I think we, us and Bournemouth, out of all the 92 teams, we had the fewest, fewest players. So good stuff, keep the players fit. But I tell you the team now, you, know, you can go through it in Bidwell, Odebayou, Button, Tarkowski, Dean, etc. Dougie, Judgy, Pritchard, Dallas, Jota, Andre. You can go through the team because mm. we only used, I think, 15 players. So that was great. They were fit. They were tight as a unit. And that's why I left because the owner wanted to bring in, you know, he spoke about more players coming in in, in January. I want to keep that unit really tight. Really? So you prefer working with a, a, a small squad? It was great, yeah, because they all, they all tasted it. They all tasted it, and of course, the owner, we were lucky with injury, but I, I don't think we were lucky. I think we had really good staff. I thought our training loading was right, the regime was right, and the boys clicked, and the incentive scheme put in by the, by the owner was, was magnificent. So the boys were really fighting for it. Mm-hmm. You know, so they, is that when it becomes hard as a manager, then? when you get a bigger squad and there's guys not playing, is it keeping them happy? Think, it's the hard part. I think you tell me, you're, you're in a squad of players, and the, it comes a Friday afternoon, the coach leaves to drive to the away game, and there's, there's 19 boys on the coach, and you've got six or seven left behind. I got used to that feeling. Yeah, well, you? sometimes you will. But, <laughs> but, but you're looking at players who work hard. You ask them to work hard all week, give everything they've got in training, and by the way, you're not even on the coach, mm-hmm. let alone on the bench. You're not even on the coach. And at that point, you can say, yeah, he's on 20 grand a week or whatever. I think players want to play. Yeah. Players want to play, and I'd far rather go leaner than fatter. So for me, 22, 23 players, dip into your academy if you need them, great. But I think other than that, I mean, Celtic have got really tough injury list at the moment. So it's keeping it, handy never hurt. Yeah, it, it, okay, occasionally you get hurt. But in general, you keep it really tight 
And it's like Wolves. I think uh, Wolves have picked the same team. Squad, uh, 15 out of 16 games. Uh, so see when the playoffs came, did you know you were going to leave but at Brentford at the end of that season? I knew uh, the news broke back in January, February. What have you, what have you done in the playoffs and got up that we just did? No, I've still gone. Really? Yeah? I've still gone, yeah, I asked that question. Uh, and Matthew was great. We, you know, Matthew's a nothing dog to no one's respect. I asked the question. Uh, and it's his club. He's the owner. He backs it with his, with his money. And uh, it was his, his prerogative. But had we gone up, I would still have left. See, so if you'd done it your way, do you think you'd still be at Brentford now? If I'd done it his way? No, your way. I wouldn't, that wasn't an option. No. No, it wasn't. He's the owner. As I say, I'm not, I'm not, he's the owner. No. He wants to do it this way. This is his, his approach. And had I, had I uh, taken those six, seven players in January, then I think I would still be there now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so obviously when you left Brentford, there must have been loads of opportunities for Yeah, you. I was lucky. I was really lucky to sign this. And people say it casually, it's not, because there's a lot of good people out of work. So I was really fortunate, David, I'm thanking that. And we were offered lots of jobs. Um, no, I say no. And Rangers is Rangers. Yeah, David, we have sold it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but as a young kid growing up, Rangers are a European institution. And, uh, and for me, the chance to go and manage Rangers was... When did you first hear a Rangers interest? Just got, I got a phone call. I'd seen about five or six championship clubs. Um, got to the point of talking terms with one or two of them. Uh, and then we met with Rangers in London and uh, came to see us. Uh, and we had a follow-up meeting with them. And uh, I knew then. In my mind, I'm thinking, I want to manage in the Premier League. This English is, Premier League. I want to yeah. manage in the English Premier League. Haven't got a playing career. I've been at a small club like Brentford. I'm saying small in the right way. Small club like Brentford. No Premier League team's going to take me. They won't take me as it currently stands. If I can go to Rangers, get them promoted, get into Europe within two, three years, and do really well with Rangers, I either stay at a fantastic club in Rangers, or I get poached to go to Premier League. And that's the only way I was going to do it. And that's not, either stay at Rangers or, that's not a bad choice. Yeah. If you've got the choice of Rangers or Premier League, you're a very lucky man. So no hesitation with it, but in the first division? No. No. Because the challenge was non-negotiable, to use a term used by the board, Non-negotiable promotion. So, I, don't, I don't mind that. You know, I'd rather black and white as opposed to, well, let's see how we are come May. Mm-hmm. I'd rather black and white, and it was black and white, get promotion, and we did. How was it feeling when you got announced, confirmed as a Rangers manager? Such a massive club, obviously. Yeah, you don't realise, I'm, I'm saying to people this morning, you're in it, you're in this goldfish bowl. You come out of it, it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying that, do I, please don't, you know, it's not derogatory to Rangers or Celtic in any way, but you come out of it. We were at Forest, we were playing a game, we had a three o'clock, I think they had a 12 30 kickoff. The boys having a pre match meal, I had the pre match there. They're watching TV screens, and one of the boys said, If you click over, there's an old firm game on. Yeah. I'm in my office watching the old firm. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. 
For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. Hotel firm, didn't even know. And I give them dog's abuse for not knowing it's an old firm game. But that doesn't mean anything. No. Because you're in this goldfish bowl. I got to Glasgow Central yesterday for the, for the first time for a while. Get in the cab and the guy goes, Mr. Warburton, how are you? It's nuts up here, isn't it? It's nuts. Uh-huh. It's nuts. It is. You know, Jose Mourinho could climb into a club in London, or the top, top managers could climb and unrecognised. Uh-huh. Yeah, up here, it's a different world. What did you think the first time you seen Ibrox? No, oh, I loved it. Loved it. Just smells of football. Just smells of the wood, <coughs> the, the tradition. Loved it. I mean, everyone's going to say that. If you don't say that, then you, don't, you shouldn't be in football. Uh-huh. What a place that is. Uh-huh. Uh, what was your view on the, on the squad you inherited, sorry? We had nine players. If you remember, is it 11 or 13 left? I think it was 11. Right, players are gone. Hair. They all left, and we had nine players in that first session. Is that not a bit scary? That's a blank canvas. Right. A blank canvas. So, you know, again, people said, oh, well, European players were... I had to get players in that I could... Waghorn, you know. Uh-huh. Tavernier, you know, Rotherham. Fodringham, Swindon. Um, Danny Wilson, again, Liverpool, knew him. Dunball on loan, Gideon on his own. These are young kids. Mm-hmm. But those, you know, those type of players, Rob Keenan coming in, they were tasked... Those young boys are coming out of paying in front of two, three, four thousand, paying in front of fifty thousand at iBox with the expectation that you got to go up. Mm-hmm. So it sounds great to a player, but you know yourself, if that's your first, your first move, wow. Did you need to explain that to the boys when yeah. you signed them? Yeah, and their character and asked them. But people like Tav and Rob Keenan, love, they were just enthused by it. Waggy. You know, so see, when you're signing players for injury, sorry, do you need to look in at their personality? Do you need yeah, to ask people? Yeah, you need to talk to them. You got to talk to them. When I hear people say, "I look, I looked at my wise cap half now. It looks all right. Put a bid in." Unbelievable. You've got to sit and talk to a player. What makes him tick? Where's his passion? Where does he see himself in the team? Where do you explain what he should ask you, Gaffer, where do you see me in your team? I'm amazed when players don't ask that. Where, where do you want to play me? How do you see my role? What are my strengths? How are they going to impact your team? They don't. Some guys go, yeah, where, where do I sign? You need more than that. You need a bit more than that. I asked a few managers and that, and it was the same answer, the bench. Um, <laughs> but was it a good opportunity for you to, because these boys were so young, it was just start, was it right back to basics with the, with the team? Yeah, we, we literally said, we're going to play. Huge credit to the likes of Kenny Miller and Lee Wallace. 
those type of people. Yeah, people already at the club. Yeah, yeah. They, they were here and top, top professor. Can't speak high enough for those two guys. Um, but those guys had a really important mentoring role. Then they're young. Don Ball, don't forget, came in. Don was a young kid on, on, on loan. You know, Gideon was 17, 18. Emerson Hyman, these type of boys are just young kids coming in, but they thrived, showed their quality and, and you know, did the right. But people like Josh Windass, um, Matty Crooks, they take time. And because it's Rangers and the media, why isn't Crooks playing? He's, come on, he's 19, come out of, you know. But they're, they're young kids and just, they just need time to develop. So how, how long into that season did you think, I've got something special with these kids, these kids here? We could it, wasn't, something it wasn't something special, it was, we have to go up. Mm-hmm. We have to go up. Did you drum that into them? Yeah, there was no, this is, a, this is a challenge. There's no second and fight or playoffs. We've got to win the league. We've got, and they won it by 11 points, I think it was. I mean, injuries and squad, but they did the job, and all credit to them, they did the job. You know, young kids coming together, playing in front of 50,000 at Ibox with the expectation of a club like Rangers, and they got the job done. They beat a smaller team at the Petrofac, as you mentioned earlier, <laughs> and, and they beat Celtic in that, in that game. Mm-hmm. It hurts, he lost to Hibs, but we were running empty. We only had, we only had five subs that day, we had, we had no one left. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, you're saying about the pressure of playing for an Ibox of players, is it the same as a manager who's came from Brentford, what, 7,000 yeah. every week to yeah, 50,000? We had, you know, Brentford was rocking. At the end, it was a sellout every game, great support, but it's a smaller club. You know, you come to Ibrox, but you've got to enjoy it. You've got to enjoy it. And I, Can you enjoy it then? You have to, you cut Simon. If you're not enjoying it, why are you in football? Mm-hmm. Of course you have the nerves and the frustrations and the, the, the pain of a defeat or whatever, the joy of a victory, but if overall you can't enjoy it, being at a club like Rangers or Celtic or playing the old firm, I'm privileged to have had four or five old firm games. Magnificent. Magnificent, never ever forget those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, was the rivalry with Hibs, did that help you push on in the league as well? Yeah, again, I'm an outsider coming in. That's news to me. Mm-hmm. You know, but people like Kenny and Lee would pull me aside and say, Gaffer, this is you know, Aberdeen away. Oof, this is a big one. But you don't know it until the second year. But again, you've got to try and learn about the game quickly. So, okay, Hibs, I can understand it. But we had, I think we beat them 6 2 in the, in the Cup mm-hmm. right at the start of that first season. And the fans were fantastic. And we went one down. And I think Waggy and, and Tav scored and suddenly we 2-1 up and then we, we battered them and the fans just took off. And from that moment there, they were behind us. Mm-hmm. But that gave all of the new guys uh, a taste. This is, this is it now. Mm-hmm. Every away game, you just fill every end or you fill half the stadium. So for the boys, getting used to that, they loved it. And you watch the likes of Tav. And Tav doing what he's doing now, all credit to him. Because uh, he's flying captain as well, must make you quite yeah, proud Yeah, but well. he, he should be. What a great yeah. place to be in. I think said, he can play at the top level, Tavian. Yeah, and go earlier. What he can do, what he can't do. Will he be found out at Premier League level? Maybe. Maybe. But maybe, then again, he might be outstanding. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, playing with, again, right way, better players. Players on 50, 60, 80, 100 grand a week. Will that make Tav a better player? Will that help him? You know, and, and improve certain areas of weakness, but his attacking strengths, his, his delivery is world class. Yeah. Just to pick up on something you said there, you obviously you spoke to Kenny and Lee Miller, uh, Lee, Kenny Miller and Lee Wallace. Would you lean on the older players? Would you, would you invite them and have a chat with you? Yeah, of course you should. They're older players. They're senior guys at what they do. Mm-hmm. So why not chat to them? You know, we have analysis every day, 10, 15 minutes, and you want contribution? And I want the young players to look at the, what Kenny's saying. Yeah, speak his mind. Lee Wallace will speak his mind. But the, the beauty of those two guys is they do it respectfully. They're not effing and blinding and telling you to do one. They're, they're going through it. Nico Crenshaw, football student. Nico, if you say something wrong, Nico digs you out. Does he, right? Oh, yeah, Nico dig you out. No, no. What, can you give us an example? Yeah, if you, if you said about uh, you're playing a 4-3-3 and you want to play with a 1 and a 2 and you want the 1 to vacate the space and the 8 to drop in and you work on the pattern, he would go, yes, but if, if I'm playing against you, I do this. What now? 
Is he, huh? Because for Croatia, he's playing with Modric and whoever else. 80-year-old cat for Croatia, don't forget. So he says, I watch Rangers, I will do this. And looks at you. Okay, okay, now we need two. Now I'm going to play the two and a one. Two by Kate, ten drops and... So, but it makes you, it challenges you. Uh, was that the first time as a manager you were really challenged when yeah, you got the bigger players in? Yeah, you have to sit there and you sit there and privately you say, shut the... <laughs> you know, but, but professionally you're saying, you need it. You've got to be pushed. I think about the city, you're constantly being challenged. Constantly being challenged. I walked into my... I'm, I'm digressing, but I'm not. I walked into a bigger bank. I made the move up. I was comfortable with a big fish in a little pond and I moved to a big bank. And I walked in and I literally sat down and probably the biggest amount of money I traded in was like $50 million or, you know, in terms of one hit. And I walked in and, and I literally took my jacket off and Mike said, take a seat. And I got a dolly in 200 million for so-and-so. I went, yeah, made it, bang, dealt, wow. But I look back now and he goes, they set that up. They asked the customer to do it, to hit me, just to see how I reacted. Mm-hmm. But you're straight in like, jeez, you know. But that was, for me, great. Wow, this is a different world. Now I've, now I've arrived. I thought it was a really big balls, but it was that test, and, and you need that test. And again, that helped you being the Rangers yeah. manager as well, because you'd experienced stuff like yeah, that. You've got to, and you need Nikos, and you need Kennys, you need, a, and the young players like Barry Mackay and and Holty and Halliday should look at those guys. Halliday's great. I'm delighted to see him doing so well, but and he's Rangers through and through. But he would look at it, and he's he's got something about him, and he'd ask a question. And you might slap him down and like laugh and joke, but he was better for it. You're better for it as a manager, so love all that too. So right. do you prefer that in players, people who will question you yeah. and ask you questions? Uh, yeah, in the right way. Uh, yeah, respectfully. Do it, do it respectfully and yeah. always, yeah. Because if you can't answer them, don't be doing it. If you put a session on and you can't answer a question, don't be doing that session. You can't explain why you're doing it. Yeah. Uh, but too many coaches, I think, look on YouTube and get a session and A to B, B to C, X1 passes to Y1. Okay, fine. Go on in. And then someone questions it. Well, that was on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, learn, learn your trade. Yeah. Right, I want to ask you about the Scottish Cup. Post Christmas, good form you were in. Uh, did you fancy your chances when you yeah. were Celtic? Um, I was. Uh, I'll be careful. I say this. I was. I was so dismayed at the way Ronnie Dyler was being treated. Right. That was new to me, and he was getting dogs abuse from the papers, and I thought it was almost bordering on legal. That's how I saw right. it. Some of the headlines on Ronnie Dyler, if you remember, he was getting levels of abuse in the media, which I just thought were way beyond appropriate. Mm. So I felt for him, um, and I knew that the turmoil would be going on within the camp, and they had a couple of dodgy results, um, but they were still the best team in Scotland. But it was just a case of us being our best on the day, catching them slightly below their best, and one or two events going our way. Patrick Roberts missing from uh-huh. three yards out, open goal. See, when you see that happening to Ronnie Dyler, was there a wee thought in the back of your memory that this, is, this could come from you? No, if, I knew it. I was told, my first day here, I got told by, by someone very wise, went, it's good cop, bad cop in Scotland. You can't have two good cops, two bad cops. You've got to have a good cop, bad cop. So right now, Ronnie Dyler's bad cop, he said, you could basically go and do 4-0 and they give you a positive spin because you're the good cop at the moment. But the moment Brendan arrived, you know straight away that, hang on a second, and you knew. And then, obviously, you know, I've seen this year, Brendan's won two trebles, I've seen some derogatory comments about Celtic performance and Brendan getting slagged off. How can that possibly be? But right now, Stephen's a good cop. Mm-hmm. And then you see what, and that's how the Scottish media... Is that the hardest thing about managing up here, Celtic and Rangers yeah. media? Yeah, it is. Because whatever you do, they can spin it. They can, I was asked, uh, one press conference, never forget, there was nothing in the news. There's no injury. There was, we were playing some of the weekend. There was nothing, nothing big coming up. And they said to me, do you think Celtic and Rangers would join... The league's down south. Well, where'd that come from? First question. So I said, look, I, said, I, I don't know. 
Will it happen five, 10, 20 years? Probably, yeah, in five, 10, 20 years time, but right now, let's move on. That was it, the headlines the following day. Warburton demands from Doncaster that Rangers move south. Warburton, you know, mortified that Rangers still in Scotland. I didn't say any of that. No. But how do you go back at them? You can't, if you go back, they make you look like a petty, Warburton doesn't like criticism. Trying to win. You can't win. Uh-huh. So should have just done an interview with us, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you won a bench at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but see, when the draw came out and you got to see it, like, were you quietly confident you could beat them? I went into the game thinking the players, I looked at like Don Ball, I know Don from a young boy at Watford, I signed him like 10 years oh, right? So I had I'd Don for the academy. He was a setter for you, wasn't he? He sat, yeah, he could play centre-half, but he sat for us that day. Um, but I looked at Dom thinking, how's he going to react to the build-up to the game? Couldn't wait. I looked at Tav and Rob Keenan, couldn't wait. I'm thinking, Lee Wallace and Kenny I know about. Where's Fodium? Couldn't wait for the game. They're buzzing. Andy Halliday was like, you know, 15 Red Bulls every day. Uh, yeah, because yeah, he, he couldn't wait. I'm thinking, wow, they're up for this. They're properly up for it. Holty, a cup of tea, Holty. Are you feeling? Oh, I can't wait, Gaffer. So you look at it and go, there's no nerves. There's no, if you remember the penalties, Gideon Zalalem at 18, 17, 18 years of age, stepped up, puts it in the corner and gives it one of these to the Celtic fans. Mm-hmm. He's eight, just turned 18. Yeah, we've got some balls. So see, see, can you tell by your players how they're acting before a game whether it's going to be a good uh, game? You know, you know yourself, you look around the change room and go, they fancy this. And if we lose, we're going to lose to a really good team or a really good goal or a really good display. So... But they, Celtic should have won. Look at the squad on paper. You look at the wages. You know nine times out of ten they'll win that game of football. Not being to watch the Rangers or myself. That's nine times out of ten. But on that day, we played really well. They were probably slightly below the best. And it was, it was a classic game. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask you is because you said Celtic were the best team in the league in Scotland at that time, was there no wee temptation to switch your style of play or was it always no, stick to your principle? because you can't say to a player, this is how we're going to work. And, and again, the Scottish media, no plan B. Of course there's plan B. 4-3-3 is 4-1-4-1, 4-2-3-1. men coming now, full-backs high. Two and t- whatever it is, it's basically 4-3-3, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. So you look at it and go, well, we will, we will adjust. We may go two and one in midfield. We may narrow up and come in really tight. The two wide men coming in now and, and make sure that Tav and Lee Wallace. But I knew Tav and Lee Wallace would go. Lee would go and we worked so hard on the full fullback dropping in and so Andy Halliday would drop in, Lee would go, Bam Mackay would come in and receive it as an eight or a ten. So that type of movement, we hurt them. We really hurt them and they tried to press us, if you remember. They pressed us with two, they pressed us with three, and the second half pressed us with four and we just clipped it out to Tav. So Wedge Foddy and, you know, second half clipped it straight out to Tav and the halfway line and we're out. Mm-hmm. And I could see one E going, oh. but they weren't quite pressing together because they didn't have to all season. We were championship and we were getting out and the boys were enjoying it. Were you surprised how much better in Celtic were you, you were that day? I thought we played really well that day. But don't forget Patrick Roberts, who's a top, top player, by the way, mm-hmm. missed from three yards yeah, out. Uh-huh. But were you frustrated that it went to penalties and you never won it in normal time? No. No. Just want to win it. Uh-huh. I put my nails a bit in the, in the penalty shootout. Because, but even then, the quality of the penalties, you know, the only one to miss was Tav, I think. Tav missed and immediately, uh, who's the boy playing now? Celtic boy, missed, he missed. You think he hit the bar, didn't he? Who's that, Rod- Roderick? No, it wasn't Roderick, that was right Roderick. at the end. Right at the end, right But it was Tav that missed it. Right. And then they missed straight after, hit the bar, and you think, an inch, an inch, and they win it, you know, but we were, we were right there, and it was, uh, some of the penalties were just, Nicky Law stepped up, and you know, it was tremendous. Would that have been the most nervous you'd been in your managerial career? Yeah, because I knew what it meant to the fans, and it sounds a bit, you know, prophetic, but I knew what it meant. 
it, it, it meant so much to the fans, it meant so much to the players and the staff after where the club had been. So to get promotion, great, but to go and beat Celtic in that type of game, well, oh, magnificent. And seeing the dressing room after it, do you, do you jump up, is it jumping up and doing yeah, it? Yeah, it was a it proper, is. but don't forget the boys were really exhausted. Mm-hmm. You know, extra time and pens, they were out on their feet, but they could hear the singing and, and just what it meant to Glasgow and just coming in the stadium on that day, coming in, driving in in the, in the morning and, and to experience that from a mile out, they're sitting three, four, five deep on both sides on a Sunday morning. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. And you won't see that in the other club. Nah. Unbelievable. Uh, final, what do you think went wrong? Uh, honestly, we, yeah. were, we were spent force in terms of Don Ball suspended was a killer because right. we had no defensive midfielder. We asked Andy to play out of position. Um, so that was a real, that hurt us. It sounds a bit naive to say a young low knee, but Don was an important member. We only named five subs because the likes of Tom Walsh and Ryan Hardy and Jordan Thompson had been out alone, we couldn't play them. Right. So we, only, we, had, we had no subs, we were running empty, literally running empty. We had injuries and 16 fit players um, and to come so close, to go 2-1 and to get that, to that point and was it eight minutes away from winning the, the, the cup. But you knew, had we gone further on, there was just there was nothing in the legs. Mm. And then two late set pieces, poor defending um, and it hit us and it really hurt us to, to lose that game because it's a game we should have won. Um, but as I say, it really hurts. But just, you want to you win the cup. Whichever country you're in, you want to win the main cup. And there's no doubt that's the main cup. So were you worried beforehand, due to injuries, were you worried going into the game? Yeah. Or did you still back the me, players? Did you still think you could... If you remember the press said, oh, Warburton's making a statement to the board that he hasn't got enough players. I wasn't making any statement. We had no players left. Uh-huh. None at all. Because the likes of Tom Walsh, the likes of Ryan Hardy, you would have put on the bench, great experience, and brought them off the bench. They couldn't. They'd come back from loans and couldn't play. So you're sitting there and you literally couldn't feel it. And I knew losing Dom was a real body blow. And I lose a 19-year-old and say, well, Scottish Cup final. But it was just bodies in important positions. And he was so good in the semi-final. And he had physicality. He's 6'1", 6'2". So defensively, another physicality. You know, and we had Barry Mackay. We had Holty. You know, these are, these are smaller players. And, and you play a team like Celtic, and you know, Hibs and sorry, yeah. yeah, but obviously Celtic and Hibs, yeah. those teams, they've got physicality. So did set people set pieces of worry for you as well, huh? No, when you, have, like when, you, when you have people like Clint Hill and, and Danny and you know, Kenny Miller's good airily, yeah. but you need to have that physicality. You play teams with five, six big men mm-hmm. and they know, you know, they know they can hurt you. We played teams in the league and they knew they'd put 10 men behind the ball, defend for 90 minutes, but they would get a corner or they would get a, a free kick and that was it. Mm-hmm. And how many times you, you concede from a set piece and spend 89 minutes trying to get the goals back. So it's, it's a tough one, but we, uh, we should have defended that goal better. We didn't as a group of players and staff. We didn't defend that goal better and we got punished in the last five minutes. See, when the boys get beat so late on, do you go mad after the game or no. is it just silence? What's the point of that? Uh-huh. Nothing's achieved by that. Mm-hmm. Emotions run high. Um, but you've got to talk it through. You've got to talk it through at the right time. But they're, de- they're, they're devastated. The staff are devastated. We lost a cup final with Rangers, a game we should have won and we wanted to win the cup. And, and to, the Celtic game for me became insignificant then. Now you can look back and go, it was a great game, but at the time, what's the point of beating Celtic if you're going to lose the final? Mm-hmm. You want to win the cup. Is there anything you would do differently now, looking back? Um, looking back, player-wise, not put players out on loan, possibly, have the extra bodies. It was just the fact, if you remember, there's a two-week gap between the last game of the season and the cup, cup final, final yeah. and that's the killer. We had to try and find a team to play. I took the boys down to Tottenham and we played Tottenham's on the 23s at the training ground. And um, we had to try and find a game. It's too long. If you could change it, it's too long. You want a last game of the season on this Saturday and play the cup final the following. That's what you want. Uh But it's uh, scheduling.
Uh, despite the final disappointment, are you feeling confident going into the, the Premiership season? Yeah, we were confident of a good squad. I was confident we would come second. And again, how do you say that? Because mm -hmm. it looks like a lack of ambition or being negative. Not at all. But, but I knew Celtic were by far the best squad. Absolutely by far the best squad. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, still that first day, you see a game for 55 and like the blue touch paper and oh my God. Does your heart sink when you see yeah, that? Yeah, it did sink. It did sink because not a negative one. I want you to say Rangers are back. You know, blue noses are back, or whatever you want to, whatever you want to put up there, because the spectacle was magnificent, the stadium was outstanding. I didn't want going 55. I didn't know I was going there. But why would you want that? Mm -hmm. Because the fans immediately came in and just lit that blue touch paper, and here we go, we're gonna, we're gonna smash it. Come on, Celtic squad packed of international players, and we've got, we've got young kids and free transfers. Mm -hmm. So you know, you got to be realistic and say. I wanted a bill for, the th for, the, for year three. Then in year three, have a go. This year, I've just been asked, do I think Rangers win it this year? I hope they do. I don't think they've got enough this year to win it. I think Celtic will win it this year. Right. Next year's a year for Rangers for me. And that's how you just give Stephen time, settle in players, make one or two changes. But I don't think they've got a Rogic type. I don't think they've got that real world number, you know, 10, number uh, 10 who's so clever and makes the teams tick. And you look at the best teams, they've always got that clever player. See, in the summer after the, the, the final, was it, could you enjoy your break or is it no. just get ready for the next season? What was it, looking for new players? Looking for new players, but we lost the cup final. You want to finish the season on a good note? We've lost the cup final. Uh -huh. You know, so I was a miserable sod. Rather with the misses for the... Are you like that, are you? No, I'm not. I'm not. I don't mean to be. I wouldn't be in public, you know, but then in public, you told I didn't really bother him. Of course you did, but you're in public. But with the, with the misses and that, I was, I was a miserable sod, yeah, because uh, you just lost the cup final, you want to finish the season, you got promotion. Win a cup final, win the Petrofate, you've had a great season and you're flying. Nah. No, okay. Um, you do, as I said, when we played you at Peterhead, I couldn't believe how high intensity and the speed of play. So I was a wee bit surprised when you brought in older players. Because, and um, I actually got asked a question downstairs, I probably didn't answer it the right way. Uh, in hindsight, I was told about the Premier League, I was told about the physicality, what you would need, and I should have trusted my gut more. So I went with more senior players and, and enormous respect for, for like Tent Hill, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what's a, what a He's man another is. warrior, isn't he? Warrior. Uh -huh. um, Nico Cranchard, the best technician in Scotland. You know, people don't know how good he was. Kenny Miller, how good we, he we was. We played just in the League Cup that year as well and Cranchard played and he was outstanding. He just can't get near him. Uh -huh. But he's had eight, eight catch for Croatia. He's a world-class player. But I should have trusted him a gut and gone more for the Pritchards. Not like I could get Alex, but that, that type of player. Young, hungry, technically gifted. But I thought about the physicality and, and still the money. You know, people say, why don't you get the, the six foot three guy that can play? Because a six foot three guy that can play is on 50 grand a week. Mm -hmm. I can't get those players. You either get the physicality or you get the technician. You can't get both for the, for the budget that we had available. So we weren't spending a lot. We, we spent all of our money on Joe Garner, who's a, who was that physical specimen and the fans loved him and a top, top lad. Um, but we didn't spend enough money. And if you want to go and compete with Celtic, you've got to go and spend more money. And I'm delighted for Stephen that they are. They're finally spending money, and that's, that's how Rangers will close the gap. Mm -hmm. So Stephen's doing a tremendous job, and, and he needs that investment. Were you also hoping that the older boys would be a good influence on, because you had so many young players? Yeah, I uh, wanted that mentor-type role. Yeah. I had Lee, I had Kenny, but I wanted more. I wanted some more men to go into, into the, the Parkhead-type arenas. But again, that first game in September was, you know, you look at it, Sendor's got sent off, you know, Clint wasn't fit. It was just what happened, happened. Uh, but um, I just, in hindsight, I wouldn't have got so many senior. 
I would have got trust him in gut and gone younger. Was Joey, at first, was Joey Barton a good influence on the players? Joey Barton's uh, played the highest level, um, intellects of the game, he's articulate, um, championship team of the year before with Burnley got promoted, and I want him to come in and, and be that type of mentoring influence. This is, this is a standard, train with me. Mm-hmm. So, as I say, what happened, happened, but um, wish him well at Fleetwood, but as I say, it didn't work out for us. Uh-huh. So, what, what was the problem that you could uh, repeat the success of the, the year before? Well, what was the success the year before? Promotion. Were we going to beat Celtic in that league? Not in Exeter. No, we weren't. They were by far the, the strongest squad. So, we weren't going to win the league. I thought we would have come second. Mm-hmm. When we left the club, we were second. So, we were second, we were in the Cup semi-final, and I, what happened, happened. It wasn't of, of my making, or David's making, that's for sure. But we were second in the league, and I think we would have finished second. I was comfortable we would have finished second. And uh, we'd have used January transfer window, and I, I had no, no qualms about that. The problem was, Celtic were having their stellar year. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. People forget that. Look at the table now. Celtic have lost four, is that right? Yeah. They've played 26, won 24, drawn two. They'd only dropped four points in 26 games. So they were 20 points ahead, and every press conference, you're 18 points behind, you're 19 points behind, you're 20 points behind. Thanks. But you realise that people don't look at what's happened to Rangers, they just look at the gap, because it touches the intensity of the rivalry between Rangers and Celtic. Mm. You didn't say Mackay's doing well, or Holty's settling in, or so-and-so. They didn't look at that. They just went, the gap's 20 points. And that's where it goes so wrong, because mm-hmm. I said at the time, they've all regressed to the mean. Not derogatory Celtic. Celtic will come back to a normal season. You know a striker. 10, 10, 11, 10, 25, 10, 10. He has that one year. The golfer that can't be beat for one year then goes back to the normal, back to the pack. So that was that. Celtic's year. They've never repeated it since. Did it make it harder that Brendan Rodgers got the job as well? I know Brendan. I worked with him at Watford. Um, he got the job, but they had a stellar, stellar year. Good luck to, you know, all credit to Brendan. Outstanding mm-hmm. manager, you know, great guy, but they had that stellar year. It's not been repeated since. Yeah. Do you think you maybe just got Rangers at the wrong time? If you'd got them in, maybe when they were spending a bit more money, you could have yeah, challenged uh, it. Yeah, frustration is you leave, or you leave, you know, you, you have to leave. Mm-hmm. And uh, I watched Pedro get money for, to spend on players. And that was, a, that was a huge frustration, thinking, well, why couldn't we have that money? But the gap was 20 points. I don't know how it finished at the end of the season. Was it 20, yeah. whatever it was? Were you asking for money? Any manager will keep mm-hmm. asking. A manager's job is to ask. The moment a manager stops asking for things and you know he's lost, a, he's lost a drive and a passion, you've got to keep asking for things. So we wanted certain, you know, we wanted to get more, but we still had a squad of players on threes, fours and fives, mm. which in Scotland they'll say that's big money, not compared to Celtic. Uh-huh. How frustrating is that when you've got a guy like Matthew who's desperate to get you new players and then you go into another club and you can't get yeah. players? Yeah, and that's the, at the moment, the North-South divide, we had a conversation before, but you could talk for hours, but you look at the money down south now, you look at the championship now, what they're spending on players, what they're giving players in terms of weekly wage, mm-hmm. and you compare it to here. The gap is getting wider and wider and wider. Uh, just finally, how disappointed were you in the unusual manner of your departure? Yeah, disappointed. You know, and I'm obviously not going to expand too much on that, but from my point of view, I can honestly tell you, you would never walk away from a club like Rangers, ever. No, no contact with any club. Um, at the time, I found out via Sky Sports News. So that was it. But well, I still get the derogatory tweets coming through, you snake this and you snake that. No, sorry boys, you got it completely wrong. We would never walk away from Rangers. No. Do you think you deserve more time then? Yeah, absolutely. We come, we do, you, said, you, sorry, do, do you get to fight your case now? Or is it no, just we, gonna... you're gone, you're gone, aren't you? But yeah. we were second at the table and we got promotion the year before and the cup final and won a Petrofac. So if it's a school report, we're doing all right. Mm. That's not a C-, we're doing all right. But the gap 
to Celtic was it dominated every single meeting, every single telephone conversation. And you've got to look at it and go, Celtic, we're having that still a year. Now, now, this year, we'd probably be three points behind them, mm-hmm. four points behind them. So that, that's the hard part, Simon. Uh, just uh, looking back, now you've been away for a bit, is there no other environment like, like Glasgow? Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Does it put you through the ringer or no, it's great. Loved it. I'd, I'd walk back to Glasgow. Would you? Uh, yeah. Would you come back? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Walk back to Glasgow. And any manager says differently is talking at the back of his, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. The fact, the fact of the matter is, it's an it's institution. Both of the both, both clubs' institutions, global brands. So who would not walk back to Rangers? Loved it. Loved every minute of it. Learned loads from it. Major better it. manager. Yeah, maybe a better person. More than more importantly, maybe a better person dealing with it, uh, understanding how the media works, the politics involved with a bigger club. You come away with it and go. I get that. And it's amazing how Rangers is perceived down south by the football people. You know, they all come and talk to me and, oh, how is it at Rangers? How is it at Rangers? To manage Rangers, to the old firm. Because football people want to be involved in those games. So I'm very fortunate to be involved in four or five of those games. But to manage a club like Rangers, yeah, I'd walk back to Glasgow. Brilliant. Uh, looking about getting back into it now, sorry. Yeah. Um, not precious about whether you're manager, coach, sporting director, tech director. I'm not, I'm not precious. Um, I think... In a non-arrogant way, I'm, I'm comfortable doing those jobs. Um, just want to find an opportunity where you have a chance. Um, overseas, yes, I'd look overseas. I'm talking to a couple of people overseas, yeah. Just find an opportunity. But I'm 55. I can't afford to go and make a rash decision and get it wrong. I've got to choose wisely. So I've, I've turned down two or three because it wasn't right. Choose your owner very, very wisely. Uh, I'm sure you will. Been a pleasure. Thanks pleasure. very much. Sometimes change is simply different, but it's progress that drives us forward. Introducing the all-new Audi A3, now with enhanced connectivity and driver assist systems in a modern, expressive design. This is vision, not revision. Drive progress in the all-new Audi A3. Audi. Technik. Vodafone is now Ireland's largest fibre broadband provider. We've got fibre broadband here in Dublin. Here in Clifton. And now here. We could soon be powering this podcast you're about to listen to. So you can wonder on your computer from the comfort of your own sofa. Curiosity is everywhere on Vodafone, Ireland's largest fibre broadband provider. From €30 Euro per month, search Vodafone Gigabit Broadband. Terms apply. Subject to availability and selected areas. Average speeds based on Comrade Market Share Data Q1 2020. New customers only. Subject to 12-month contract. Offer ends 22nd of November 2020. See Vodafone.ie forward slash fixed terms for full terms. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.